Welcome to the Attack of the Killer Podcast Part 2, the sequel. <laughs> this podcast is just like the original, except on this one we only talk about kung fu movies. Ooh. And we record in front of a live studio audience. And there's now 27 hosts on the show. And we only speak in pig Latin. See, just like the original. Well, I, I take that back. It's nothing like the first one. Just like how some movie sequels are nothing like the originals. Huh? You like that segue? Yeah? Huh? Sequels that are not sequels on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Hello, and welcome to another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. But this episode is completely different than all previous shows. That's not true. It's just the same old, same old. What I'm just trying to make a point is, is that this episode is about sequels that are not really sequels to the original film. Uh, those horror movie sequels that you are so excited to watch to get more of the crazy antics of your favorite psychopath only to find a movie about a man who does raci racist impersonations and makes toys that kill people. Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends, we get together with a topic and we discuss films within that topic. Now we're all just friends hanging out, talking, so there may be spoilers. Consider yourself warned. If you like what you hear, I would like to invite you to become an attacker. An attacker helps support the show and become... And you get to become part of the Attack of the Killer podcast family. For your support, you can get all kinds of amazing perks from bonus episodes made just for the attackers. Early access to the main show to make all your friends jealous. You get our YouTube shows like video updates, Insane Mike's Women in Top 10 lists, killer critiques. There are various items such as t-shirts, stickers, membership cards, membership certificate. A playlist of all the Attack of the Killer podcast music, even original art by me called Mikey's Monsters. You can also get exclusive invitations to our monthly horror hangout, watch parties, and even our chat called Attack of the Killer Chat. You get a chance to ask a question for a topic for a future bonus episode. You get to pick a movie for us to talk about in our Patreon picks episodes. All that Jesus. and so much more. Well, actually, just one more thing. Uh, it's probably the best one, though. The best perk ever. Getting a shout-out on the show and the website. Just like these amazing attackers. That's right. Like Timothy Letterer, Roman Doppelfeld, Larry Watanabe, Brett J. Royer. wonder what the J stands for. Mike? You don't know any words. <laughs> we got Seth Key. We got, I'll come back to you. Jessica okay. Irish, Chris Cook, Brian Godzilla, Stefan Sitter, Brandy Moore, Andrew, you got one. Andrew Moeller, Rod, Hot Rod Hutchinson, Carmen DeHaig, Abraham Moreno, Jacob Book, Andrew Bentler, Casey Kelderman, Tony, the Hot Dog Miller. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> Mike Clayton, Rose Telashoma, Marcus Rude, Abe Kirshner, Lisa Cavalier, Holly Berg, Emily Randolph, Bill Fisher, Greg Diedrich, and Brett J. Royer, J stands for... Jacktastic. And that is a heck of a list. You can be on that list. That's right, to become part <laughs> of that amazing group. Your name can be made fun of live <laughs> on air. 
just go to jointheattackers.com. Pick the tier you wish to be to wit that you wish to pick. Yeah. And become part of the Attack of the Killer Podcast family. Need that website again? <sighs> Fine, write it down this time. I hate repeating myself. That's jointheattackers.com. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. He thought he was watching a sequel to the movie Jaws, where the shark throws up people until they open up a beach. Turns out he was just watching the original movie backwards. Jason! (laughs) What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into our funny little show. He thinks the next Lord of the Rings sequel starring Bruce Willis is going to stray from the franchise, especially with the new title. It's called Old Hobbits Die Hard. Tad. It's too soon to make Bruce Willis jokes, man. I didn't say anything like about him being bald. Okay. That's true. That's true. All right. And Andy's on assignment. That's right. He is honestly, he is not with us for this episode. And we miss him. We do. We do. And speaking of missing him, um, let's turn it over to Tad for what we watched. (laughs) What we watched. Well, we're coming off of a holiday weekend. It might have been a long weekend for you guys. It was for me. I had uh, four days off, so I got some stuff watched. Nice. But Jason... What did you watch? Okay, well, uh, here's the thing. Um, I have not seen any movies since um, the last time I recorded. And even what? after the last time, you reminded me of one. Uh, one that <laughs> I want to talk about. Anyway, But I have been watching... Uh, I've been watching series is, is more. Um, and, and according to my list here, it's all Apple TV. So... Um, I've been watching the psychological thriller. I'm, I said it. I'll just say it. It's called The Crowded Room. Um, in a man in the in Manhattan in the summer of 1979. So it's a cool little period film, uh, series. A young man is arrested for a shocking crime, and an unlikely investigator must solve the mystery behind it before the true criminal strikes again. And it stars Tom Holland, our Spidey Man, and Amanda Seyfried, gorgeous. And so that's all you need to know. And she's the investigator, and it's pretty fun to watch Tom Holland do acting. That's not Spider-Man. <laughs> I He's think great. you said it took like such a huge toll on him he has to take a break from acting. For real? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. He's great. I mean, one he's got a he's got like the stupidest haircut I've ever seen, but uh, he has to anyway. He's he's fucking awesome in it. He's really great and uh, definitely worth watching. That um, the crowded room. Um, it's still not quite through the first season yet, but um, it's great. Uh, and then I kind of plowed through this other one. It's called The Big Door Prize, and it stars Chris O'Dowd. Everybody loves Chris O'Dowd, right? He's Who? so great. Chris O'Dowd. Mm. You'll know as soon as you see him. Okay. But uh, this is this show is so fucking weird and cool. Uh, a small town is forever changed when a mysterious machine appears. Promising to reveal everyone's true potential. Soon residents start changing jobs, rethinking relationships, and questioning long-held beliefs. And it's uh it's fucking great because it's it's a it's quite the thinker. Um, it's uh, it really gets in there and makes you think about your potential and and 
just life and and all the big questions and so you know I love it for that. Chris O'Dowd. <laughs> you love him. He's I, I know who you're talking about. He's an Irish guy. Pretty funny. Super funny dude and he definitely carries the whole thing. He's great. And then lastly, um again I just blasted through this uh series cuz I saw that um uh, season two is going to start real soon in the next week or so. Um, it's nothing anyone who's listening to this will even like, but I love it. And it's called Foundation. And it's based on Isaac Asimov's um, books, works. A compl- so it's super sci-fi, super, okay. A complex saga of humans scattered on planets throughout the galaxy, all living under the rule of the Galactic Empire, Dr. Harry Seldon and his loyal followers attempt to preserve their culture as the galaxy collapses around them. And it stars Jared Harris. He's one of the the main dudes. He plays the Harry Seldon. But, um, and then a bunch of other people I don't really know, but uh, those other people are super compelling, and it's great. And it's, it's a neat mix of Star Wars and Star Trek and super, super fucking super sci-fi. And... Uh, and and the biggest and deepest questions, knowing like uh, that your everything is going to collapse, knowing like he, the main character is <laughs> so stupid. That's why I love it. He he maths so hard that he can figure out the future. That's just how hard he mathed. And <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's a really great show. I'm super excited to. Season two is coming soon, but that's what I watched. Cool stuff, right? What about you? Yeah, Mike. Oh, I just I took over hosting duties right there. <laughs> that's fine. I just wanted out of this segment <laughs> so bad because I'm like I'm naming shit stuff that no one's ever gonna. The, now you know how I feel. Like every Mike's tuned like... out so hard over there. He's like, uh, oh, I was uh, listening. Heck yeah, I'm sure everyone was. I'm sorry if. We lost listeners on that little segment. Hurry up and get out of it, Mike. What did you watch? Okay. Cool stuff. I only got around to watching one thing. Well, that's not true. Um, Righteous Gemstones season three started, so I'm excited about that. Been watching that. It's off. It's off with amazing banger. It's on. So so funny. So good. Um, but uh, the one I w- will talk about is the one movie I got a chance to watch over the past couple of weeks, and that is I finally got around to watching Evil Dead Rise. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's, go- it's good. Right? It's awesome. Hell yeah. What's, Very your, awesome. what's your favorite part? Um, Spoiler free part. Um, the, like the Deadites doing things. Right? Um, yeah, what was my favorite part? Uh, I, I will answer that question from myself. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to answer it for me. No, my favorite is I just love the uh, sequence of him, like, opening the Book of the Dead and hearing that old record. Uh, Something about that, like, having it on vinyl and, like... Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's just that that kid, like, that whole scene is just, like, wicked. It, like, gave me, like, goosebumps, like, the wind picking up. And that was just, like, a, a cool sort of modern take on the old Evil Dead legend. Yeah, and I was con- I, I was I sp- might have zoned out a bit there for a second or whatever cuz I'm watching him spin the record and my first br- my first part of my brain goes instantly to thinking that he's backmasking. Um oh. and I'm like you cuz and I've seen it in movies before. I think Trick or Treat did it. 
um, where yeah. they put the needle at the beginning of the record and then and then spin it backwards. I'm like, that's not how records work. <laughs> um, but and then it dawned on me. It's like, oh yeah, it was going too slow a second ago, so he's speeding it up. He can't. He can't. So he wasn't trying to back mass. So it made sense. Um, I don't know. Like the oh dude, I don't. I love the concept of the deadites morphing into one blob of Ugh. human arms and legs Boy, and heads. Yeah, yeah. That was cool. Like a weird, um, yeah, monster thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, the the cringiest moment, which I always love that stuff, is the cheese grating. Yeah. Yep, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> that made Brandy wince, and it was awesome. Um, but like it, we've thought it for years, and then we saw it, and it was like, mm-hmm, yep, that's yeah. why we thought it. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but dang it. Like... I just love the lead girl. I mean, besides her being beautiful, but like she's mesmerizing when she turned. Like her fucking face was just like fucking scary as oh, the, fuck. The, the mom, the mom. Yeah, yeah. she did good. She, she did was good, awesome. evil possessed. Yeah, yeah, really good. But it was it was heartstringy because, like, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, all the films. I guess. <laughs> do you really get invested in like? The you love know, story, the family, anybody, the, anybody the, but Ash. You know, like right. Ash. Of course, you care about, but I, I thought for having this is the first time we've had like anyone under like what Tina eighteen in a movie in an yeah. Evil Dead movie. That's so true. this was, I, I thought that it was a good Changed like yeah. change of pace. Uh, spoilers, yeah. anyone listening that hasn't seen it, why are you listening to us? Go watch it. But uh, I love the idea of like kicking off with like a wild crazy scene that does and then circle back around to the end you know where i thought that mm-hmm. was cool that was neat mm-hmm. yeah uh but it's setting it in a more urban environment in a giant you know uh complex that was cool in a high rise maybe yeah uh yeah i i i, I really dig it man like i just love that we have these like sort of standalone sequels like you yeah. could show this to simon and he doesn't have to watch the original yeah, exactly. evil dead or anything yeah. and he could just enjoy it for what it is and like and seen too, yeah. yeah it did very well in theaters this was supposed to go straight to hbo max it tested so well they decided to put it in theaters and it made buckets and buckets of money it did really really well yeah, yeah so uh congrats to sam and bruce and everybody back there you know doing this thing and and finding ways to to still make money out of this franchise and i love that they're taking young filmmakers and and you know like mm-hmm. making like letting them do this and then they're gonna move on and do great things in their careers and really cool yeah very cool but yeah and i i think maybe because it was a couple of the kids that became deadites yeah. as well that why why it pulled on the heartstrings because it's it's like you know I'm I'm definitely past the the age of, like, you know, kids getting killed in films affecting me. You know, I'm I'm back to my teenage years of like, yeah, bring it on. You know, <laughs> but uh, uh, this was this was even more because it's like, okay, so you know they're possessed, so there's no point of no return. But the only way to but we also all know the only way to stop these things is to completely destroy destroy the host body completely like turn it into mush and so now you're seeing you're having to see the kids go through even more um chaos and mayhem Goddamn and wood carnage chipper. yeah exactly <laughs> literally go through a wood chipper so. yeah yep. anyway yeah evil dead rise 
definitely lived up to the hype. Um, and, but that is all I got got to watch. So, Jason. Uh, how, okay, so last host of this segment, Ted, what have you been watching, pal? Yeah, um, I actually, I'm surprised you guys, I've watched more than you guys, but I guess it's because I, I like to, I've been able to put stuff on while I'm working at home and been mostly for the staying home and getting stuff done, but being, I don't know, uh, watch a movie. So I, of course, a yearly watch, got to see Jaws on the big screen mm-hmm. at the Capitol, uh, just great to see it in a packed theater. We had like a hundred people there, which is awesome. Uh, to get people out mm-hmm. on a Saturday night to see Jaws, a, a movie that was made in '75. You know how fucking cool is that? Um, I saw Wes Anderson's new movie, Asteroid Ooh. City, in theaters. I know. What was it? It's okay. I liked it. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just feel like I, I, I still haven't seen the French Dispatch. I felt like mm-hmm. I just I, I had to be in the mood, and mm-hmm. I'm just at this point. I, I felt like this one definitely Wes Anderson fully has his own head up his own ass. Like mm-hmm. it almost feels like a parody of one of his movies. I was just gonna think those words. It's yeah. so thick on where it's oh, like wow. this is the, his style is just yeah it's so thick absurd. in this movie that it's like it's almost visually like hurts like it's mm-hmm. it's like having a candy bar is good twelve candy bars is too much and this is like you know twelve candy bars on top of an ice cream sundae it's like we get mm-hmm. it man we get it you're quirky and this is weird and you can get any actor you want in the world to do your weird shit it definitely felt like substance or style over substance where it was like visually this is really cool but the story is like is it really this simple is there something more to it no it's just a way for him to like make a movie in the desert which is fine it's cool it's if you like wes anderson stuff but but the story you're saying is not yeah there's not there's it's oh it's so simple and it's just sort of like which is not necessarily always bad it's just like Mm -hmm. nikki is almost like did I miss something? I'm like, no, it's really just, <laughs> there's it. no, yeah, there's no more meaning to it. It's just like him finding uh, the humor in simple things, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know. It was okay. Um, and then of course did my annual return of the living dead watch on the third and got to introduce it to Nikki. How'd so she do? Fun. She enjoyed it. Well, I yeah, mean, she, she hell yeah. She did the thing where she predicted every scene before it happened. Oh. You know, oh, the, the the smoke's gonna go out and it's gonna rain, and all the zombies in the <laughs> graveyard are gonna come out, and the dog is gonna come back to life. You know, the half did dog. You and, this, Nikki? <laughs> yeah, uh, but the, it wasn't like she was saying it was bad. She just was like, you know, I know where this is going. Yeah. Um, and then I watched. Did she predict the end? No, no. I don't think so. Ah, take that, Nikki. Yeah. Um, and then I watched The Bear. Yeah. Season two. Did I talk about this last episode? No. Have you guys, you guys aware of The Bear? You just told me you were going to go watch it the other day, and I'm like, I'll better look at it. The Bear is so fucking good, guys, on Hulu. Um, What's so good about it? It's so emotional. It's really fantastically Ooh. written and acted in the music. Ooh. There's a Christmas episode this season, which is a flashback to like the origin story of this our lead character. It flashes back to why he's sort of fucked up. And it really was painful to watch, not only because of the... The, the show can have this saying where 
um, if you haven't seen it, a basic premise is this guy uh, who's played by I, I forget the guy, the actor's name. Sorry, um, something whatever. But he played Lip on uh, Shameless, the U.S. version. He is like a Michelin star, like five star chef, and his brother owns a an Italian beef restaurant in grimy downtown Chicago. His brother kills himself. He has to come back and help run the restaurant. Um, that's the first season. Second season, he's trying to turn the 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 beef restaurant into a like high class five star restaurant himself. And the stress of this is so it's probably not good to watch while you're planning a film festival, <laughs> but maybe a little relatable. Um, mm. But the episodes are so high anxiety. Like the Christmas one is like in real time and it has the fucking most stacked cast I've ever seen in like an episode of television, how they got, they must've called every fucking favor. I guess the creators are just like, Everybody wants to work for these guys because they had uh, Bob Odenkirk, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, John Mulaney, um, Sarah Paulson. Uh, oh, God, mm-hmm. what's his name from uh, that played the Punisher, the newest Punisher? Um, no, I'm uh, j- uh, Berthall, John, John Berthall. Berthall. Yeah. Uh, all just in one episode. Um and all in one house and it just like it really fucking hit hard and i had to just like sit down for a while so it's more than just a show for foodies absolutely my first thought when i just looked at it after you told me you're gonna not at all about no it's more about just a drama show and yeah and it's and and but it's not all like i don't let me talk you out of it by saying like it's stressful because there's episodes that are lighthearted and really are, are fantastic and it's all written very well but um it is the heaviest shit sometimes too. So uh, I highly recommend that. Oh, I find it, I, yeah, it's only half hour episodes, so that's good. You can you can binge it really quick. Um, and I think that's all that I watched besides a lot of Food Network. Mm-hmm. All right. So we should probably get into the topic, guys. Um, how does it happen when a movie has a sequel and has nothing to do with the original? Were a filmmaker were the filmmakers just out of ideas? Was it a way to cash in on the previous success of that title? There are so many sequels that stray from their respective franchises, and we're going to cover a few different examples. Tad, what's our first film we're going to talk about? Our first film is House Two: The Second Story. Last year, audiences everywhere thrilled to a terrifying film about the horrors of home ownership. House. Now, there's an all-new house. Looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. With brand new owners. Charlie. Huh? Got it. And it's getting weirder. Look, it's a prehistoric bird. I got you, Jeff! I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Two friends inherit a fantastic house. Charlie, there's a jungle in there. And a 170-year-old mummy. Surprise! Who is this? You can call me Gramps. They're in for more trouble than they ever imagined. You can kick the door open, run in there blindly, and I'll cover you, okay? Guy with the big gun goes first. Oh, don't mean you, idiot. 
House 2, the second story. This place gives me the creeps. The new owner of a sinister house gets involved with reanimated corpses and demons searching for an ancient Aztec skull with magic powers. Yes, that is the description of this movie. <laughs> this is one I've never, this is the first time watched for me, yeah. somehow. Uh, I think I watched the first house on this sh- this uh, show for uh-huh. the first time. Um, what the fuck, guys? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> this whole series. I, I, yeah, this is a great choice for this topic. Uh, a, a sequel that's not a sequel, but sort of has ties. There's where a tie, it's like, but... Yeah. Um, Wait, the poster the art. The we have a, a, and we have a Cheers castmate in it. Um, There's three ties I've discovered. One, that it takes place in the house, which is not even the same house. Uh, that there's a Cheers cast member in it. And the music is completely recycled from the first film. No, I think the girl that survives at the end of the first one, or it's her little sister, is the girl in this. So it's literally... I, I don't know. I, I think that's what it was. But There's I, I remember seeing... cast. Yeah. And, and the posters tie together more than the movies. Right, that actually uh, does. Yeah. The, the posters are memorable from when I was a kid walking through the horror section, seeing the hand, you know, at the door. Mm-hmm. Um this is actually a fucking blast. I don't... Mm-hmm. It's not at all a good movie. No. Nope. It does not let off the gas pedal from the beginning. I, I'm i like, why do I like this so much? Oh, because they're just using uh, New Bloods, Friday 13th, the New Bloods music. Uh, the, the whole score is just Harry Manfredini just phoning it in, using, recycling the score from a Friday 13th movie, which I'm cool with. Uh Lots of weird monsters and animals and creatures. Uh, we have a reanimated grandpa who's like an old Western cowboy, uh, but he's very charming. But he's also a zombie, like not quite a zombie. I don't. What do you even call him? A ghoul? I don't know. I don't know. Resurrected thing. Undead. Uh, what? Just a strange movie uh, <laughs> written by Fred Decker. Uh, Directed by yeah. Ethan Wiley and written also by Ethan Wiley. There's a, a weird crystal skull. There's a reanimated <laughs> grandpa. Demons crossing the gateways in the house. Uh, there's a jungle in the kitchen. I don't know, guys. This is so. This is so weird. I don't know what to say. Cane hotter gorilla. It is so much fun though. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stop smiling watching this. Going, I can't wait to. I I wanted to message you guys and be like, "Holy shit!" But I'm like, "Well, we're gonna talk about it, Tad." So (laughs) this is fun. Um, yeah, uh, exactly what Tad said. This is not a good movie, and I don't really like it. But man, it's it is fun. The Catter Puppy. I forgot. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, it's so dumb. Catter Puppy. I I mean. This it's got stop motion animation in it. It's got puppets. It's what the fuck is going on with this movie? It's like Jim Henson's nightmare. I know. I mean, I love. It's it's great seeing uh, Jonathan Stark uh, in it. Yeah, yeah. It's really great to see him in a bigger role. Um, Roald Dano is just always great in everything he does. Oh yeah, Lar Park Lincoln. I didn't Lar expect Park, her. Uh huh. Yeah. Big role there. Part of me wants to spoil Halloween of Palooza, but 
was like force us to announce it before this episode comes out. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But Laura Park Lincoln, she'd be neat to meet. Laura Park Lincoln, hair. Is she hotter (laughs) with her darker hair here or the blonde or the blonde in Friday Seven? I think she's more attractive in this movie, to be honest. I agree a thousand percent. Mm. And I think part of it is that darker hair makes those eyes pop even more. And I think it's also because her character is better. Like, she's not uh, mentally ill. Yeah, she ain't all whiny like she is in (laughs) Seven. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Is that it? You done? John Ratzenberger from Cheers. He's he's definitely a shining light. He's not in it very much, but he He steals the movie. He's He's in, like, two scenes, and he steals the whole movie Yeah, I remember him, so. Yeah. Uh, I I love this movie. I feel like it's not nearly, I mean, it's definitely not nearly as good as the first film. And they, you know, want to talk about straying from the original. Because the original still, even though it is really comedic, it still plays like a horror film. This one just throws the horror element out the window and but and just does everything else. I mean, you it's got like a, a little... fantasy, yeah. Yeah, like the creepiest thing in the whole thing is the main bad guy that you maybe get for a total of two or three minutes throughout the entire movie. Um, And even then, it's just like, it's almost, those moments, you know, because of where he came from has more of a Western feel to it than than horror. But but it is a lot of fun. And I I remember watching this way back in the day, like when I first hit cable and stuff, and and just being so off-put on how much it's not, a sequel to the original movie house so we just can't stress that part enough if you go and watch this movie but it's just off the rails craziness and it just goes 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 to the to the point where i feel like i personally feel that the pacing of the movie is off because it may be too fast of pace um it's as if there's like many 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 scenes are missing from this movie and it's all transitional scenes to get us from point A to point to point C. Yeah, like they just B jump just, right over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they um they they dig up Grandpa, and the next thing you know, the house is full for a Halloween party. You know that that is the that is you know jumping from. And some of it works, like the John Ratzenberg thing. You know, he just kind of shows up out of nowhere. He does his thing. He helps them on a little mini adventure, and then he leaves, and then he's gone. He's out of the rest of the picture and it's like why was he even there but it works you know that that's one of the moments where it really works in the movie where you have like the scene where they just rescued the virgin from the sacrifice and and then the next scene is they're all sitting down having dinner together with the uh, puppy caterpillar and the uh, baby pterodactyl (laughs) and the virgin and the two guys all sitting down and having a meal and and zombie grandpa yeah so it it's just got such weird off-putting pacing and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but yeah. And I, I mean, appreciate the, uh, the advertising for Dan Aykroyd's crystal skull vodka in the movie. That's, that's cool. Seeing them carry that around the whole movie. But other than that, it's fun. And I, the effects look good. You, you mentioned like there's some stop motion. There's a lot of puppetry, uh and it all works it works it works pretty well i think so i don't know about that but it's in there and it's (laughs) very interesting all right 
<laughs> Tad, what trivia do you have for this movie? Well, I was waiting for you to ask because you, you had a great transition. Ethan Wiley, the director, had the crystal skull made into a doorknob for his house. Which oh, is cool. pretty fun. <laughs> um, Royal Dano was cast despite being uninsurable due to a recent open heart surgery. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Uh, I would love to find this. To aid in the promotion of the movie, a number of giveaway items were sent to theaters, including Crystal Skull Nightlights and Catter Puppy figurines. Oh, I want those. Oh. Me too. Uh, no surprise, but there's tons of uh, uh, direct links to uh, Friday 13th and New Blood, including LARP Park Lincoln, uh, Kane Hodder. Uh, he was also, Kane was also the stunt coordinator on this. Um, mm-hmm. And then. Uh, we also have the music, and Sean, Sean Cunningham uh, produced this as yeah, well. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, they just used a lot of the same music from the New Blood also. Uh, and let's see. In 1987, Marvel released a comic book version of the film that was written by Ralph Macchio, but not the same Ralph Macchio. Aww. Uh Not surprising, Ethan Wiley only had two weeks to write the screenplay. <laughs> Two whole weeks? And it speaking of show. taking acid? Speaking of our discussion on the bonus episode, if you heard it because you're an attacker, thank you. If not, um, sorry about your luck. Uh, this movie gets a mention in Scream 2 as being one of the best sequels ever, along with Terminator 2 and The Godfather Part 2. Oh, nice. I don't remember that at all. I'm going to have to go back and watch Scream 2 now. Yeah. Um and then uh, the last one, which we haven't mentioned, uh, a young Bill Mar- Mayer, Mar? Bill yeah, Maher Mar. can be seen in one of his earliest acting roles. Yep. Oh, yeah. He's something else <laughs> in this one. Again, pacing. Like, <laughs> yeah. is he is he living at the house? With the, he, he shows up, he's in a scene, and then all of a sudden he's just around all the time hanging out with, uh, with Laura Patrick Lincoln, who is the girlfriend to the main character of the movie, but they're all hanging, but they're hanging out with, without him the whole, and yeah. And they just, they just walk into scenes and then walk out of scenes. Like what is going on? Where are they, where are they going? Where are they coming from? (laughs) All right. I suppose we should move on to the next film and I'm excited because I'm going to introduce this one. That's right. You know it. You love it. Slumber Party Massacre 2. She should have listened to her sister. Because when she and her band get ready to party, it's more than just a great time. No girls really do this stuff. It's Slumber Party Massacre 2. Now it's time for the fun part. Hey, 
baby, cause less buzz. Lumber Party Massacre 2. If you go, don't go all the way. Oh, God, anybody got any tranks? What a trailer. <laughs> Courtney and her friends in her band go to a condo for the weekend of band practice and partying. But Courtney can't get rid of the haunting feeling of a supernatural rockabilly driller killer coming to murder them all. Okay, so here's a little story for you. Get comfy, folks. I used to hang out with a friend of mine in high school. His name was Wayne. And we um, there'd be some weekends where his parents would be gone. And we would hang out at his house uh, all weekend. And... Uh, he was one of the, uh, first friends that I knew that had a car. Um, now, you know, we're a couple of nerds, so we wouldn't have like parties or drive around all night causing trouble. We would just go into town, rent a bunch of horror movies, buy a bunch of junk food, and we would just watch movies, um, all night at his house. And this was one of the movies that I remembered the most from those days. And so anytime I watch it, it just brings back those feelings, especially since there's kind of a similar parallel theme to these group of teens to go to one of the parents' condos and end up having a lame-ass party. So kind of similar in that where we would just be lame-ass kids just watching horror movies. Um, which them having this like a lame ass party is 90% of this movie followed up with crystal crystal Bernard having crazy delusions throughout the whole film. This movie is nuts. It's crazy. It, uh, it is, they try to force the connection to the first film, but claiming that crystal Bernard's character is the little sister survivor. That's the one I thought it was this one. Yeah. Yeah. Of the, of the first film. <clears throat> and so, um, but that's just forced in with dialogue. There's like no flashbacks or anything like that that really try to connect it to the first film. So it's easy to forget. I've watched it hundreds of times, and there's still a lot of times when I go to watch this movie that I forget that it does have a connection. And she's having these weird delusions of the, of the killer, you know, coming after her and her friends. But it's nowhere near the same killer. Like, I can, you know, I, I'm fine with, like, a recasting or whatever, but it's not even the same character. I mean, this guy kills with a drill, just like in the first film, but it's on the end of a guitar. The guy dresses and acts like uh, um, um, Andrew Dice Clay, where in the first one, the guy was just a crazed guy in a Canadian tuxedo. And... So it's just, and it's just off the wall because this is filled, obviously trying to cash in on the success of, of like a Nightmare on Elm Street where they're just having these like weird, she's having these weird daytime delusions or um, nightmares where like her friend grows into a giant zit and explodes and crap like that going on or she's about ready to eat a hand sandwich. Um, it's finger looking good. Uh, no. But, so it's just so weird and off the wall and bizarre and it just keeps going at a crazy pace throughout the whole movie that it's just, it's a lot of fun to watch. Is it, is it a masterpiece in cinema? No. Um, it, it's got a couple musical numbers in it. So you could maybe consider it a musical on top of that with these like crazy rockabilly songs that the killer is doing. Um, the only thing that drives me up the freaking wall about this movie is the one kid god what was his name was it tj was that the one the one guy who uh 
he's just annoying with his choice of vocal pattern and that laugh he would do every time he was like trying to prank somebody or do something stupid. <laughs> I mean, like I just I I just could not wait for that character. He did not die soon enough. Uh, I think the effects are are pretty fun. Uh, again, you get like the girl that turns into was it? Which, by the way, going back to Friday Thirteenth um, pedigree here, she that's Heidi uh, Kozak uh, Hadid, uh, who is also in Friday Thirteenth Part Seven: New Blood. She's the one that went skinny dipping while her while her boyfriend got axed in the face. Um, and I so there's like two there's two different lines that uh, Brandy and I always quote from this actress, and one is from this movie. Brandy always goes slumber party weekend and i'm always like russell party of two right this way please and so and she's also in society and she's playing the same character in all three movies (laughs) anyway that's what i think what do you guys think i've seen this um a few times i know joe bob did it on the last drive-in uh i i have no real connection to the first movie but this is another great example just like house two of like how did we get here (laughs) exactly Uh, but i love it because it's so fucking out there like yeah it's another like did you just have a 12 year old like and and what if the killer he had a guitar but with a drill on it (laughs) <laughs> and uh you know but he wears a leather outfit and he has he says funny things and so strange but i it's fun it's it's a quick little fun 80s i mean it's like sort of quintessential 80s stupid slasher you know mm-hmm. but not quintessential because like you said it has musical numbers so i don't know man uh but I enjoy it. I have fun with this. This is turn your brain off. Watch it. Have fun. Hot chicks uh, getting killed one by one by Andrew Dice Clay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not that's, to like. that's what it is. Well, there's a lot of things not to like. It's pretty bad. I don't. It's not for me. Uh, definitely not for me. But um, I do agree that the uh, the effects are pretty fun. A lot of the kills are neat, and I mean, I like. Nope, that was it. I uh, I like the poster. It was always one that catches your eye in the oh, video yeah. store. Yep. I mean, because you're like, "What the fuck is that guitar?" <laughs> yeah, I want to play that. <laughs> um, but this movie does something that I fucking hate that Mike loves to do. Um, is name your characters last names oh. after fucking horror movie people, and I yeah, little on the nose on this one. Yeah, hate it, <laughs> hate it. Um, and Andrew Dice Clay was annoying, and I just it yeah, it just took forever to get there. Once it once it got going, it was like balls out. Everyone's dying left and right, left and right, and that was cool. But yep, I don't. I hope I never have to watch it again. Speaking of effects, I um, <laughs> I like that one shot where the killer is holding somebody's arm. I'm forgetting who he just killed. I think it was maybe Crystal Bernard's boyfriend. It was a delusion scene too, but um, and he's holding this arm that is just 
caked with strings of latex hanging down that's just drenched in blood and he's like trying to whip this arm and he can he's he's kind of struggling trying to break the latex away and it's so stringy and gooey i've never seen anybody do that with like a severed limb in a horror movie i thought it was i thought it was awesome and hilarious and gross definitely gross tad what trivia do you have for this movie there's some fun ones. In order to get word out about his presence on set without arousing his suspicions, the cast and crew would use the code name Jennifer when referring to executive producer Roger Corman. Um, I'm, I'm from reading this trivia. I'm guessing Roger Corman was not um, the most fun to have on set. <laughs> uh, Heidi Kozak noticed that the cutoff jean shorts that she wears were getting shorter and shorter every day. She later <laughs> found out that the costume costumer would pull threads out of them at the end of each filming day to make them shorter. <laughs> After the discovery, she got herself a new pair of shorts. Uh, I had another one. I had to scroll down here, find it. Uh, that was pretty good. There's a lot of like, this is a top seller on VHS. Uh, one of the biggest ones. This one's pretty interesting. Um, the Nest, also a Concord picture, used the same condo for its scenes. As a result, the oh, crew wow. of this film was forced to contend with a roach problem. Ew. Yikes. Wasn't this also another one of the Corman's, like, give a director a chance, Deborah Brock's first? So yeah. it's nice to have a woman director. Well, yeah, and that's definitely, anytime you bring up this franchise, that's probably going to be the first thing Roger Corman will say. You know, because, like... These movies and a lot of other Corman productions and most slashers of its time, you know, get, uh, you know, get ridiculed for being, you know, misogynistic and anti, you know, anti-woman, that kind of thing. And so Roger Corman's always quick to mention that all three of the original Slumber Party Massacre movies are directed by women. Yeah, he tied their hands incredibly, but at least he gave them a chance. Right. Yeah. All right. There's one more that I think you might find interesting. Uh, not that crazy, but Paul Rubens was friends with the casting director and paid a visit to the set, uh, but he went incognito in a wig and hat, and some of the cast figured out who he was. Oh, man. Can you, you imagine should... if they snuck him in as a cameo? That would have been awesome to sneak him in. Yeah. yeah. Just like Robert England in Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Robert England just walking a dog down the street in one shot. Anyway, awesome. Thank you for the trivia. Jason, what's our next movie we're going to talk well, about? Well, we're finally going to get out of 1987. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's get into the Back to the Future a little bit. Back to the Future Part 2? No, we're going to be... I do think that's better than the original. Really? Not really. No. But, I do but we're going to go to 2016... 10 Cloverfield Lane. There's been an attack. I'm not sure yet if it's chemical or nuclear. Where are we? Underneath my farmhouse. Hey. Sorry about that. What happened to your arm? Were you trying to escape? I was trying to get in. There's a woman. She wants me to let her in. You can't tell her! You're going to get all the kills! What was that? Quiet. How do we get out of here? Is that how you thank me for saving your life? Let me go! 
After surviving a car accident, Michelle, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, wakes up to find herself in an underground bunker with two men. Howard, played awesomely, but John Goodman tells her that a massive chemical attack has rendered the air unbreathable, and their only hope of survival is to remain inside. Despite the comforts of home, Howard's controlling and menacing nature makes Michelle want to escape. After taking matters into her own hands, the young woman finally discovers the truth about the outside world. Directed by Dan Trachtenberg, um, this who went on to direct the awesome Prey sequel, uh, Predator. Yeah. Oh, Prey. nice. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, this movie fucking rules. And from what I had uh, looked up about it, it it's uh, like a, Mike alluded to in the beginning. There's a lot of reasons for these unsequels to happen. And this one was definitely uh, began its life not as a sequel. And once they figured out they could shoot some more scenes and shoehorn it in there, that's what they did for this one. But, uh, yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, unbelievable. John Goodman, unbelievable. Bradley Cooper, unbelievable. He's so dreamy. <laughs> um, just, yeah, and the dude, the duder, um, John Gallagher Jr. I love everything he does, too. He's awesome. He's in Belco Experiment and Hush, and he does good stuff. Uh, but this movie's so awesome. Because it, it really does successfully walk the line of, is John Goodman a yeah. good guy? Is he doing the right thing? Is he actually a bad guy? Yeah, it, and you don't fucking know. You are just, that is the suspense <laughs> of this so movie. Great? I mean, You're along for the ride. There's a lot of like, you know, edge of the seat moments mm-hmm. in this movie, but the true tension in it for me is is just well, what side is John Goodman on? Is he freaking batshit crazy or is he actually the hero, you know, and oh yeah, and you're you totally, don't know. You totally nail it, yeah. It's also a bad robot production, so it's produced by JJ Abrams. You get you definitely get that in the quality, I think, of the okay, yeah. of the production, the 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 filming. It seems like it, and then definitely the the third act. I think mm-hmm. definitely, but uh, man, I remember when this came out. It yeah, just blew, lens blew it away. Going. Come on, there was though. I know <laughs> you gotta have a style. Um, but I, I assume it's not a first time for anybody. This is no, not a first time. But what'd you guys think? I I've always loved this movie love since it. day one, and uh, I love John Goodman. Yeah, I will watch John Goodman in anything, including King Ralph, and this is by far his my favorite performance of his ever. It might be, yeah. This for is real. It's kind of a crime he never got like any acknowledgement for the performance in this. Yeah, oh, it's a horror movie because it's yeah, exactly. Um, because he skates that line that you were talking about <laughs> so well. It's all in his performance, and yeah. whether or not you just don't know. And then, you know, just seeing the guy that you used to see and being the goofball dad on, on the Roseanne show or the Connors or whatever they want to call it nowadays. <clears throat> and, and then seeing, doing something darker like this, yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. And you know me too. I just love those isolated, small cast little movies like that. 
Absolutely. <coughs> Ted. I love this movie Fuck too. Yeah. I uh, I was when, when it came up on the list, I'm like I'm going to go to the shelf. I know I have this and if I don't, I'm going to remedy that and of course I own it on Blu-ray. <laughs> uh Yeah, I I mean, this is like I love that we have this weird world that is purposely sequels that aren't sequels, the Cloverfield universe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and like having two big names, well I guess if you count Bradley Cooper, three really big names in this um, is really cool for like, and, and they did a great job of sort of making this a secret Cloverfield sequel. Mm-hmm. They did like hush hush marketing and it sort of went under the radar. I love that kind of stuff. We don't really get that anymore now. Um, they even did that one. It wasn't this one, but one of the Cloverfield movies just dropped on Netflix, like right after the Super Bowl. Uh, it's very much that old style of like sort of crazy marketing. I don't know. I I'm all about it, but this movie lives up to the hype. It could stand on its own, but it's also, I love that they're connected in a weird way of this monster verse. Um, mm-hmm. but to me, this is the best one. It's in just oh, yeah. great performances. Oh, yeah. Uh, very I love iso- paradox a lot, but this is yeah. so good. Very isolated, very, mm-hmm. uh, claustrophobic very it's a big mystery it's it's almost hitchcockian sure Um, yeah absolutely there's yeah it just makes me think of that where it's like he leads us on this ride of is is he crazy are we crazy is she crazy who's crazy is this really happening outside and then it just goes you know when she gets out of the room spoiler it's it takes it's almost a second movie and you know it's really fast but it's like holy shit he, he was not a good guy but also he was being honest about something happening out here. Um, yep. So yeah, I just it's it's wild and I love it and suspense I'm, filled. Anytime we can, yeah, find a reason to rewatch this, I'm all about it. So, mm-hmm. do you guys think that um, tacking on Cloverfield onto the title and making it part of this, knowingly Ooh, making it part of this franchise, oh. kind of takes away from that crazy third act ending. I mean, no. I'm trying to remember first time watching it and it's hard for me to remember the first time, but I thought I knew it was supposed to be going into it. Cause I, more than likely I came into it later than everybody else. And so, you know, there's that lingering feeling the whole time is like, where's the connection? What's the connection? And, I don't know. I just think like if no one had ever said anything about it being connected, that third act just would have been a punch in the face. Awesome. Oh, you're saying it gave it a, it spoiled it a little bit? Maybe a little. Maybe. I don't know. That's what I'm asking though. What do you guys think? I I don't know. You have to have that to to sell it, you know? True. It's Um, it's kind of a lose-lose situation, right? Right. Yeah. Um, But I also... The whole time you're wondering what's the connection, you know, where does this name come from? What's the deal? It's uh, a it's a good question for all of the unsequels. Uh, is the movie better with if it was its own thing? So House Two yeah. is it would it be a stronger movie without being tied to a not actually being tied? 
Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? And if you would have asked 16-year-old me that loved the first movie and then turned around and saw House 2, I would have said that, you know, the movie was hurt by calling it House 2. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you know, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's definitely a, because there are sequels out there, many, many sequels that are connected to the original. Uh, case in point, like um, movies in the, uh, like Prom Night franchise, for example, that was a script for something else and then it's like like uh yeah hellraiser again perfect example in later films in that franchise of taking a script and then tacking on that title to connect it just to try to to sell it you you know that i tried so hard us to get us uh to Make Demonica a Night of the Demons sequel. <laughs> yeah. I was trying. Night of Demons 4. Yeah. I was really trying. We could just be like Dustin Ferguson, the filmmaker Dustin Ferguson, and just do it. Just do it. Yeah, because that's what he does. He's there's he's done so many sequels to movies that he should not legally be able to call <laughs> sequels. I mean, I, I think you guys should have just called it uh, the Amityville Skating Rink. <laughs> Could have gotten away with it too. That one for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Yeah, dang it. Foreign market. There yeah, you I was go. gonna say if we ever get a foreign market distribution, <laughs> we've had worse titles in foreign markets for uh-huh. a film of ours. So, yeah. Uh, so oh yeah, such a good film, so great. And I think like back to back to my earlier question, I'll I'll pose this that again kudos to john goodman because he's the one that keeps us from thinking about the alien aspect too much you know mm-hmm. again it's just mm-hmm. like everything relies on him and his performance in this mm-hmm. so that's how it worked that's how it worked um because they got him because they got him and what he did so yeah tad what trivia do we have for 10 cloverfield lane this one has like pages and pages. Uh, <laughs> I bet. But there's some really cool stuff. I thought this was really fantastic. They shot they shot tonally different tonally, not totally, tonal totally. different versions of most scenes from light and humorous to angry and mad so they could find the right mix as a whole. So they hmm. shot up several different versions and the editor sort of mixed in so we would have that are they is he you know like John Goodman there's scenes where you almost like him and there's scenes where you are terrified of him you know and I think doing that shooting the scenes huh. in different ways and mixing them together sort of keeps us on our edge of our seat I think that's really cool yeah very cool um, co-producer Ben Rosenblatt is the one who suggested the mailbox at the end reveals the street name as Cloverfield. It was a joke, said Dan Trackenberg, and we all laughed and then paused and said, wait a second, we can do this. <laughs> That's how it works half the time, just yeah. a joke. Uh, I, I, I just have this one for Mike. Uh, this is not John Goodman's only film featuring a bunker. He also starred in Matinee, which film, which, <laughs> another right, film in which yeah. people take to a bunker under questionable, though more humorous, circumstances. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's just so much to go through here. Um, I, I won't do too much more, but I want to find another good one. Uh, let's see. I like I, I've, I've been scrolling through them, and there's <coughs> there's all kinds of little things. Uh, I, I think this is sort of cool. 
All the visual effects were done in-house by Kelvin Optics at Bad Robot Studios. So Abrams Studio, like they did all that stuff in-house, didn't hire it out. Cool. And it still looks really fucking good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then one last one. Uh, it was filmed in chronological order. Oh, oh nice. Wow. I can always appreciate that. That just doesn't happen. No. I mean, that it can in one location, level. probably. But yeah. With such a small cast. but That fuck. would be a lot. Like, I can imagine like, that would fun. be fun to do with John Goodman in that role. Mm, yeah. Like being a director would just like he's probably having the, the fucking time of his oh, life yeah. shooting this, yeah. You know what? Kudos <laughs> to John Goodman too of the the stuff he's done over the years, right? Like he's done anything and everything on all spectrums. Like he'll do he'll do a Coen Brothers movie, or he'll do you know, uh, or he'll do a smaller film like this uh, that's completely out of out of his wheelhouse, or you know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the Babe. Uh, he's he's one of the leads in The Righteous Gemstones I was talking about earlier. He's know. one of the best we got. He is. He is. For real. He's one of those that's on the old uh, bucket list of people I'd like to meet. Oh, man. Probably. It won't ever happen. But Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that just like, yeah, can do. He sort of flies under the radar, but like one of the most respected mm-hmm. when he is in things. It's, it's weird because yeah, you, you can do like an ABC or whatever, NBC, I think it's ABC show. You know, yep. I remember yeah. as a kid, remember him from Roseanne and then like mm-hmm. you see him in other shit and you're like, Oh, he's like light years above everybody else on the yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. But he's never, he also is never above anybody. Like he, no. he always, you know what I mean? Like, he, yeah, like you were sort of saying, he will take a weird sci-fi movie, a comedy, an indie, and he just raises the stakes of everything by being in it. So, He's in a Kevin Smith movie, crying out loud, even. Right? <laughs> I forgot about Red State there for a yeah, second. Yeah, fuck yeah. So good. Yeah. All right, so that is it for the film discussions for this episode. But fear not, true believers. There's still more Attack of the Killer podcast to come. I went a little Stan Lee there you for did. a second. Heard that. Hmm. We're going to take a quick short break to hear a promo of our podcast network called the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. The Prescribed Films Podcast Network is home to over 30 shows, including podcast from the crypt we have a new drinking game every time i say the word podcast (laughs) hosted by horror fanatics chainsaw paul and permanent guest host wolfman memo two guys who love all aspects of the horror genre join them as they share their thoughts and opinions on new and classic horror movies video games ghost stories and all things horror check out take a drink podcast from the crypt and all the other amazing shows at thepfpn.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the show. And now we want to hear from you guys, the listeners. Here's Jason with shoutouts. It's time for shoutouts. Shoutouts. 
All right, we asked, what are your favorite horror sequels that aren't really sequels? And a lot of you chimed in. It's pretty great. Up first, we got Attacker, Andrew Moeller. Oh, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. <laughs> it's so not a sequel. No. There isn't even a first one. It's <laughs> exactly. the most unsequel. <laughs> great <laughs> Such answer. A good, movie. good job. Yeah, man. great movie, too. Yeah. Up next, we got Chris Gibson, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Kind of one of the biggies. Knew that one pop would yeah. pop up somewhere. Yeah. We got Brian Clark. Get ready for some things you've never heard of. Here we go. We got, <laughs> once again, he says, Alien 2, Solaterra. Yes. Shocking Dark, and just about every other flick Bruno Mattei ever did. <laughs> yeah, we should have taken no, um, Italian no. films out of this equation. Mm -hmm. Zombie 2, Night of the Seagulls, he yeah. also added. Hey, we got Terry Turford. She jumps in and says, Troll 2. Yeah. Heck, yeah. Yeah. There are not even trolls in that movie. <laughs> and then Brian's back. He says, for that matter, any of the handful of movies occasionally sold as Troll 3, one of which was in reality a fourth Ator the Fighting Eagle movie. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting. Huh. Awesome. All right. That was on our Facebook page. Over in our group, the group edition, we got brand new attacker Emily. She says, I'm going to get some flack for this one, but I was way I know what she's gonna say, into God Blair Witch 2, Book Ooh, of Shadows, yay. when I was in high school. <laughs> Heck yes. Hell yeah. I don't so care good. what you say. That movie's awesome. You know what? Attacker Brett says, don't listen to the haters like Tad. Book, <laughs> Book of Shadows is way underrated. Hell yeah, Brett. You tell him. Yeah. <laughs> Then we got Jacob McLaughlin. He says, The Yokai Monster and Daimajin sequels all work as standalone movies. Same with Romero's Dawn of the Dead, Dawn and Day of the Dead. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch is my favorite movie in the series. Wow. TZ 2B, right? Tim Lenerer says, in addition to Halloween 3 and George Romero's Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, already mentioned by Jacob, because he knows what time it is, how about Wes Craven's New Nightmare? Mm-hmm. That's it, a good pick. It yeah. assumes the existence of the first six movies as movies, but the narrative is its own thing unrelated to the fictitious characters in the first six movies. What a great movie. Tim comes back and he says, also, way back in episode 126, you guys went into detail about the La Casa movies. Here we go, yeah. Which were unrelated American movies made into a series when released in Italy. How far have they gone since that last update? Has the cabin in the woods become La Casa part whatever Italian is for <laughs> 11? <laughs> should, it should. And then we got Nick Leadham. He says, Troll 2 and 10 Cloverfield Lane. Those are good oh, picks. Yeah. Also, The Beyond. And In the Mouth of Madness, if those count. If those count. Are we talking like um, the fact that uh, like The Beyond and House by the Cemetery and Said Living Dead is considered Fulci's... Um, Suppose. I forget what they call that trilogy. The go oh, the Gates of Hell trilogy. Yeah. Or uh, what was the other movie he mentioned? In the Mouth of Madness. Would people consider John Carpenter's Apocalyptic trilogy, The Thing, right. or the Cornetto trilogy? Yeah, you got uh, the Cornetto trilogy with uh, 
Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, and World's um, End. At World's End, yeah. Okay, yep. I'll take it. He counts it, folks. And then, lastly, over on the Instagram Attack of the Killer podcast, um, we got Old School Video underscore Inc. The Reapster. Reapster. He says Halloween three is a bit too obvious. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom night two is the queen of this category. Hell yeah! And and also, you know, pulling back the curtain uh, for you attackers out there, I forgot to include that one. On the bonus episode, because I love... Too late. I love... Okay, fine. But you love it? I do love it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's way better than the original. That's true. And is not connected at all. But the Reapster says, but special mention to Sorority House Massacre 2, which really isn't a sequel to part one, but more a sequel to Slumber Party Massacre. True. Sorority's more of a sequel than Slumber. (laughs) How crazy is that? You following that? (laughs) <laughs> yep, and the math checks out. All right, that's what we got. Uh, don't forget. Oh, what? Wait, what's that? What's that over there, Mike? Oh, uh, it's the answer machine again. I thought you unplugged that. I thought I did too. All uh, right, well, here, I'll push the button. Hey, everybody, Attacker Brian here for my bi weekly phone call. And it sounds like this episode, the podcast crew is talking horror sequels that aren't really sequels. And there's no wrong answers, but there is one right answer. A couple of answers before I get to the right answer. <laughs> Night Evil Dead 2 is a sequel to the first one, I guess, but it's actually just the first movie with more fucking money. That's all they did. They made another movie, and they had more money to make it. So they made the same movie with more money. And then there's Slumber Party Massacre, which was a picture on the question, but nobody picked it. I mean, I guess it is part two, but it's about this crazy guy that's got a guitar with a drill on it and just goes around killing people for no reason i don't know maybe because the music's so fucking bad nobody wants to listen to it (laughs) the right answer buzz buzz return of the living dead it is a sequel to the original they do talk about the red on it and it's my favorite horror movie it's a fucking blast it's got lunatic in it what more do you want zombies great soundtrack i love that movie got a whole damn room that's full of posters Anyways, enjoy some horror sequels, and take care. Bye-bye. How do you feel about that, Mike? Which part? The Return being, it's a sequel to Night Living Dead. Yeah, there's there's so many movies that yeah. uh, people connect <laughs> to the original night. I mean, then there is the connection. It does pull kind of a new nightmare, claiming that uh, Night Living Dead is a movie within the Return universe. So hmm. it's fine. It's fine because Return of the Dead is awesome, and I will He's I will accept there. it as yeah. a sequel. Um, and it kind of falls in that thing where, like, there was a uh, an agreement um, between George and John Russo, <clears throat> the co-writers of Night of Living Dead, that you know they kind of went their separate ways, and there was a legal agreement stating that they can each make their own you know, dead movies, but, uh, George can't use the words living dead in his titles. Um, so, but Russo could, and Russo's official sequel, his version of official sequel is the novel return of the living dead, which by the time we got to the movie, it was basically 
just in name only and had no connection really to Russo's book. So I guess it counts. Sort of. Well, uh, thank you there, Godzilla, for leaving your voicemail. You know what I think is awesome, Mike, is that people, our acting is so good, people think we actually have an answering machine here. <laughs> I thought our little pre-skit was pretty good. It was good. Why'd you, why'd you get Wait, away? I'm just kidding. It's now, but unplug it this time for real. Like we have a landline or something. Like <laughs> who has one of those? So if you want to be cool like Godzilla, you can leave us your voicemail. Just give us a call at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Leave us that voicemail. Get your voice on the show. Let us hear from you. And that is shout-outs. But one more segment to go. Here we are with Insane's Picks. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's time for Insane's Picks. Most people know by now that I am a pretty big Herschel Gordon-Lewis fan. I mostly talk about his gore films, but since we are covering the weird and bizarre cult films and trash cinema outside of the horror genre for Insane's Picks right now, I am going to cover a picture I have never covered on Insane's Picks before, and that is Scum of the Earth from 1963. This black-and-white exploitation film is about a naive and innocent teenage girl, Kim Sherwood, who gets blackmailed into modeling in the nude for, a sleaze, for sleazy photographers. But their boss illegally sells photos of teenage girls being abused and degraded. Scum of the Earth stars Louise Down as Kim, the innocent college, uh, college girl, uh, she was a regular in many of Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies, such as Nature's Playmates, Boing, uh, Blood. You have to say it that way because it's spelled B-O-I-N uh, hyphen N hyphen G. It wasn't just commentary. That's the name. Of that's the, okay. That's, yes. Or how about this title? Goldilocks and the Three Bears, spelled B-A-R-E-S. Oh boy. Bell, there's also Bell, Bear, and Beautiful, and Suburban Roulette. And she was also a writer for some of Lewis's films, such as Gruesome Twosome, She Devils on Wheels, and Just, uh, Just for the Hell of It, to name a few. She also worked frequently with Doris, Wh Doris Wishman, appearing in such films as Diary of a Nudist, Blaze Star Goes Nudist, and Gentlemen Prefer Nature Girls. Probably see where we're going with uh, her <laughs> career here. Lewis's performance as the sweet and innocent girl is so over the top. It is highly cartoony and very entertaining. It's uh, one of my favorite things about this film is is her her trying to be such the innocent, you know, naive college girl. The film also features one of my favorite Herschel Gordon Lewis regulars, Mal Arnold, aka Fuad Ramsey from the movie Blood Feast. Scum of the Earth was written and directed by Herschel Gordon Lewis and produced by David F. Friedman. Uh, Herschel and Freeman uh, got their start together making nudie cuties. However, by the time they made Scum of the Earth, the nudie cutie subgenre had already started getting old. Scum of the Earth is considered in the roughy genre. Now, roughies were more of aggressive, lurid subgenre of classic sexploitation cinema. Uh, these films injected violence and sadism into the standard, rather innocent, softcore mix of the nudie cuties. They featured stories dealing with S&M, kidnappings, and sexual abuse. Now, however, this is 1963. This movie 
is pretty tame in comparison to that uh, description I just gave you, uh, being way more suggestive about the violence uh, going on than anything else. Um, with all of the violence and uh, nasty stuff going on off camera, Scum of the Earth is more like is is uh, uh, more likely considered to be one of the first roughies, if not the first. Uh, it was shot in six days right after Lewis and Friedman's other new experiment in in uh, exploitation genre filmmaking, and that is Blood Feast, the very first gore-slash-horror flick. Scum of the Earth may not be for every lover of bad cinema, but with the overtop performances being shot in black and white and the ridiculous storyline, it plays way more like one of those old cautionary films from the early propaganda film days, such as movies like Reefer Madness. So if that is kind of more of your speed, uh, you would definitely have an appreciation uh, for uh, for this film. And also, if you are a Herschel Gordon-Lewis completist like me, I highly recommend checking out Scum of the Earth. Awesome. You love scum. I do. <laughs> that is it for this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. And if you want more Attack of the Killer podcast in your life, just hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel and our TikTok. And if that's not enough for you, become a supporter of the show by going to jointheattackers.com. Thanks, everybody, so, so much for listening. And we will talk to you all on the next episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. Bye-bye. Oh, no. Could this be the end of? Attack of the Killer podcast. Attack of the Killer